0: Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and in this show I talk with all kinds of creative people to find out how to write better music. Normally I do one-on-one interviews, but today's episode is going to be a little bit different. I wanted to share a really cool event I took part in called Game Music Melee at GlitchCon here in Minnesota. I was up on stage with two other composers, and we created video game tracks on the spot based on audience suggestions in only 30 minutes. It was an awesome experience, and I learned a ton about how to prioritize my time as a producer. If you've never tried speed composing like this, I hope this episode will inspire you to try it out for yourself. You'll hear us do two rounds of composing, and you'll get samples of our progress along the way. Then after that, our excellent host, Emily Reese, of the podcast Level with Emily, interviews the three of us about game composing.
1: What is your personal philosophy on video game music? What do you think music should or could bring to a game? Uh, Well, it's
0: interesting, I think, doing video game music as opposed to film score music because I've been doing both lately. And uh, video game music, yeah, I really think you can get away with a a lot more melodically interesting chord changes that people are just accustomed to hearing in these kind of games. All that and more coming up in just a minute. First, I have the big Kickstarter announcement. On Monday night, I launched the campaign to fund the Composer Quest world tour. My plan is to take a trip around the US, Australia, and Taiwan, visiting you listeners, conducting interviews, and going on musical adventures for 2 months. I'm excited to make this final season of Composer Quest a really awesome journey to follow along with. And I think going on this big quest will be the ultimate way to end the show. So far, the campaign has been super successful. In the first 48 hours, we already raised $2,000, which is a good chunk of the way to the goal, which is $5,000. Kickstarter also listed it as one of their projects that they love, which is really cool. Thanks to those of you who have already donated, and thanks in advance to those of you who are considering a pledge. You can check out the campaign at ComposerQuest.com slash Kickstarter. And if you're curious about the rewards, well, one of my featured ones is at the $50 level, which gets you the Composer Quest Golden USB Drive. This flash drive will have a ton of goodies on it, including a bonus episode exclusive to Kickstarter. If you pick this reward, you'll also get the lower level rewards, including my signed three-disc story album, The Mystery of Grey Matters, and a handwritten thank you postcard from somewhere on my journey. So thanks for helping make this seventh and final season of Composer Quest a reality. Again, the link is composerquest.com/kickstarter. All right, let's get right into the game music melee.
1: To my right is Charlie McCarran. Charlie is a composer, and he has a podcast called Composer Quest, and he works with Untied Games. Untied Games has a game here tonight. Welcome, Charlie. We have Troy Strand, who works at McPhail Center for Music, also Venture Academy, and he runs a camp in the summer for kids called Composing for Video Games. Welcome. And then we have Robert Frost III. Robert is a composer, he is a, a studio director, and an all around amazing guy who's also in a band. And he'll be working tonight as well. So, welcome to all these three composers. Does anybody have a good idea for a video game that they should write a track for? What you got? What you got?
2: Uh, the Born Identity Game.
1: The Born Identity Game. All right. Got an idea over here. What do you got? Life of a Cloud. Life of a Cloud. Cloud, not Clown. Okay, Cloud. Clown? Cloud. Yeah, thank you. Okay. All right. What do you got? I want a capture the flag game where there's really tall grass and you crawl through the grass to hide from other people. Capture the flag where there's really tall grass and you have to crawl through the grass to capture the flag. All right. A post-apocalyptic beat-em-up. Nice. Post-apocalyptic beat-em-up. So we had the life of a cloud, a post-apocalyptic beat-em-up. We've got a capture the flag game with super long grass. What was the first one? Oh, the Born Identity game. So what are you guys feeling? What are you feeling?
3: Was it a cloud? (laughs) Life of a cloud? Well, I'll do that. that
1: All right, life of a cloud it is. All right, so they're going to have 30 minutes to write a track and uh, we'll be able to kind of see some of the things they're doing. We'll talk a little bit about their process, check in with them every few minutes or so and see what they've got so far. 30 minutes is not a lot of time to write a piece of music. So uh, let's do it, guys. Go for it. All right, so we're going to check in with our composers. They've only been writing for about seven minutes, but let's hear what's going on with Charlie. What's it sound like so far? Uh, Well, so far I only have... Uh, an idea of a melody
0: and I don't know I was thinking like Kirby music but usually that's a little bit more insane but uh, yeah here's the melody so far I, I don't know if I like it but
1: it sounds really cool so far it's amazing so that's, what he's using is called a digital audio workstation. Musicians call them DAWs, and his is called Ableton Live. That's his DAW. Troy over here, I'm going to have to walk in front of the screen, is using something called Logic Pro. That is the Apple computer. That's Apple's product for uh, making music, and it works really, really well for doing music like this. Not so well for making a podcast, FYI, but for making music, it's fantastic. Let's hear what you've got so far, Troy? different than Charlie's. Life of a cloud. Really awesome stuff, Troy. Thank you. And Robert, how's yours going so far? (laughs) You're using Pro Tools, looks like. This is what Robert sounds like. of patches and things to make sounds with what is that that you just pulled up Troy what is this that you're working with right now oh uh,
2: this is a uh, native instruments instrument called rounds uh, it comes with their suite of synthesizers and it's just a lot of um, they, they kind of change over time and they're programmed differently so that they kind of make these evolving <laughs> sounds.
1: Uh That's really cool. Charlie added another layer of sound, so let's hear what Charlie's got going on so far. Now, are those sounds separate from Ableton Live? Did you buy those sounds somewhere else?
0: Yeah, yeah. I had to use some. Um, I bought plug chip sounds, which is like emulating old-school Nintendo, Game Boy, everything. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> Carry on. It sounds great so far. We should check in with Troy. Troy's added a couple more layers here, and we'd love to hear what that sounds like. things going on your end here Robert
3: I'm doing good I'm getting messed up
1: (laughs) it's it's awesome how many voices do you have so far how many different tracks do you have voices four very nice I love how different you all three went with this life of a cloud business Charlie's adding some stuff, some chiptune noises.
0: I decided to switch my bass line a, a little bit.
1: The composers have about 13 minutes to finish their first track of the evening. Let's hear how Troy's doing so far. What have you got going on, Troy? A nice blend of some organic-type sounds and some electronic ones. Charlie went down the chiptune route. How's yours sounding so far, Charlie? I'm just focusing on
0: melodies, counter-melodies, trying to get those in. If I have time, maybe I'll work on the sounds,
1: but... (laughs) Our composer's working very hard writing their track for the game Music Melee. If they were writing music for an actual game, they'd be building these pieces in layers much like they are now, and then they would ship them in layers so that the audio team building the game could put those layers, also known as stems, into the game to react to certain actions the player makes. The player walks through a door, it gets more anxious one of those layers or stems would be added to increase any kind of emotion in the game. When composers work on video games, they get a much longer amount of time than other media. Television, you usually have about a week to write a single episode. If it's a 30-minute episode, maybe there's 10 minutes of music, something like that. If they were writing music for a film, they would have a few weeks, more than one week, less than a few months. Composers for games can have anywhere from you know, a month to several years, depending on the size of the project. And they also might have several people they're writing with. But across the board, they usually have more time than they would for any other kind of media project. Let's hear what Robert has right now, Let's see how things are going for Robert down here. a groovy, happy cloud. Yeah. (laughs) Our composers have a little more than five minutes. A little more than five minutes to wrap up your first track. Now, just because they can write this fast doesn't mean they always should. Kind of like a game jam, right? Just because you can make a game in a night or a week doesn't mean you should. But really good ideas can come out of that. All right. That's all you get. Ha, ha, ha. Round one complete. So we gave these fine folks just a little more than 30 minutes. I was nice to write a track that, to them, sounds like what the game would be like, A Life of a Cloud, what the music would sound like. So Charlie, what were you? Well, let's hear it first. Let's hear it first. So here's Charlie McCarran's uh, track for The Life of a Cloud. What were you going for there?
0: I, I just went with basically almost no sound design. Just picked quick synths and went straight for a melody and then bass part. Uh, and then I was going to add drums, but I figured it's a cloud, so it didn't need drums. Um, and then in the last, like, ten seconds, I added one note that I think tied it together. Because right now, before that note, the loop sounded crappy, but... I added one little note here at the beginning that if you think of like uh, an overlapping image that's a tiled image, if there's like one thing that goes across, it helps.
1: Yeah, and I, I didn't even mention the looping part. I didn't even think you were going to try and loop it. <laughs> Good job. All right, Troy. Troy, let's hear yours, and then we'll talk about the direction you went. Nice fade out at the end. Round of applause for Troy. So this sounds so different than Charlie's. Tell me what, tell us what your uh, original thoughts were and and when you realized you were going to be writing about the life of a cloud.
2: Yeah, when Charlie mentioned that he was thinking Kirby, I was like, that is totally the different direction that I was thinking. Um, Just, I don't know, like like an impending rainstorm kind of thing is what I first thought of. Um, And I've always kind of been challenged by ambient style music and maybe this is evidence of that. I don't know. It's like, I, I went for a super minimal kind of soundscape sort of thing which with the noise in the background might have been a big mistake. I don't know. Um, you should hear it on headphones. It sounds really great. Um, but I went for just like a, a kind of a dark, aimless sort of thing where I tried to make a, a the form kind of central to the idea of the music. So it starts out with the drums and just that that pad over the top, and then it kind of adds drums and it takes them away. And so I kind of like went on that journey.
1: All right, let's hear what Robert came up with. Here's Robert's Life of a Cloud. Tell us a little bit about what your initial
3: thoughts were when you heard Life of a Cloud. Uh, I guess I thought about the death of a cloud. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, clouds are inanimate and they're just kind of these things that change and morph above us. So I just wanted it to kind of be ethereal and not really make a whole lot of sense, but just kind of be a little funky and, you know, something that you would groove to. So did you start with a rhythm or did you
1: start with a little melody?
3: So I started with um, that top line here. That was all I started with, and then I just did a bunch of rhythm underneath it, just to kind of build it out a little more. Because it's a pretty simple line. It's you know, it's just a couple of quarter notes and uh, whole notes. It's pr- pretty simple. And then I kind of the last thing I added was these little but up up but up up up, just to kind of like add some more counter melody to it a little bit.
1: Excellent work, guys. That was really fantastic. They, they wrote those tracks in 30 minutes, which makes my head explode. That's, uh, that's fantastic. So now your job is to wipe all of that clean and start from scratch. So what we need is an idea for a video game. Who's got one? Time travel. Time travel?
2: Uh, Tales from the Ocean's Edge.
1: Tales from the Ocean's Edge. All right. Idea? Idea? Under the big top. Under the big top. So time travel, under the big top, or uh, Tales from the Ocean's Edge. Should we go all sci-fi and do the time travel thing? Yeah, time travel it is. We'll do time travel. Thank you all for your suggestions. So your 30 minutes starts, you know, kind of now. Yeah. (laughs) And while they're doing that... I would love to talk to you about your favorite video game soundtracks. Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger. If I put this in front of your face, will you tell me why? Uh, f- Frog
0: Steam. <laughs> and and Magus' theme, too. Yeah, Frog Steam mostly, though. Frog Steam was dope.
1: Sing us some. do 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 do
4: <laughs> That's
1: amazing. Yeah. yeah thanks. <laughs> thanks. Favorite video game soundtracks. I'm wandering around here with a microphone. Just there you go. What's your favorite video game soundtrack?
2: Uh, any of the Metroid games. Witcher 3. Well, Mega Man. Zelda. Dear Esther.
3: I think Metroid would be my favorite. Yep.
1: All right, we've given our composers, let's see how much time now. You've had 11 minutes to write a track about time travel. And we're going to start with Robert.
3: it time signatures messing with time signatures
1: yeah love it love it
2: all right so Troy how's it going for you man what have you got so far well I lost some samples on my hard drive I don't know where they went I've got to find them later I should have come more prepared Uh, so I changed over from what I was planning on doing and and did a harpsichord instead so here's what I've got
1: Love it. And Charlie, how are things going for you so far? Uh, so far, so
0: good. I just added a random arpeggio thing to my to a piano track and then added some Latin percussion. I don't know why that is time travel, but um, yeah.
1: Let's hear it. What you got so far? awesome. So what's the pink? I know what the pink line is on the bottom track, but what is the squiggly pink line here? What is that? Uh, that is
0: showing you how short the notes are. So when the line's at the bottom, yeah. uh, it's real short staccato notes. Okay. And as it goes up, the, they get extended out. And
1: yeah. Very cool. All right. Carry on. Charlie, is it okay if we check in with you again and hear what you've got so far? Let's hear it.
0: So far, it sounds really atonal and kind of like, I guess my idea now is just to make it sound like an annoying siren,
1: so. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. I love all the percussion in there. That's fantastic. Troy, how are you doing so far? Can we hear what you're up to right now? Let's hear it. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Robert. How's it going on your end so far? What's it sound like? Ha <laughs> Very good. All right. You guys have a little less than 10 minutes. A little less than 10 minutes. All right. Gather round if you want to hear the compositions for the time travel game. Robert, let's hear your track. So, okay, where did you, what were you
3: going for there? I love Radiohead, and uh, they do really crazy time signatures and crazy stuff, and Tom York's my hero. And uh, so I was going for this, like, really, like, messy time signature craziness. I mean, I think this idea would be really cool if I had more time with it, but, uh, yeah, it just didn't sound amazing. But So in this program,
1: Pro Tools, how do you tell it, how to loop do you what how does that work
3: so right up at the top here there's a this is like the transport bar so right here you can change it from loop to just regular play and you can loop play or you can do loop or destructive or quick punch these are really good for when you're in the studio punching in people all right troy let's hear what
1: you got Yeah. So tell us what inspired you here. What were you going for?
2: Well, I really uh, wanted to do something that emphasized the different time periods. So I went with different instruments, uh, different tempo, obviously. So I took the same kind of idea I had at the beginning with the harpsichord with those um, little arpeggios, and then I I changed them into a a nice woody monosynth. Sped up the tempo a whole bunch and just wanted to go for that big difference with the same musical material in both.
1: Awesome. All right, Charlie, what do we got from you? Time travel. And there's the start of the loop. So tell us what you were thinking here.
0: Well, I, I wanted, knew I wanted to do something kind of frenetic, and uh, by the end of it, it sounded to me like more of a an, a siren, an annoying atonal alarm clock sort of thing. And the the glockenspiel ended up sounding kind of like a an old-school alarm clock going off, so I have it just ringing out at the beginning and fading down as... They're traveling
1: through time and space. I don't know. Can you solo that Glockenspiel track for us? We've we got to hear the Glockenspiel track. So that's going to be this line right here. This is volume, right? See, so duck it under. Yep. Texture. Yep, add some texture. Awesome. Huge round of applause to all three of these guys for for writing music so quickly. Two tracks in less than two hours, so I don't ever want to hear that you can't do it again. (laughs) Um, So we have a little bit of time left. We could do a couple of different things. We could do one more, and Robert's like, no! We could uh, also just talk a little bit about the kinds of things that you are doing as you're composing. So Uh, In this instance, it was a little different, because you didn't get any concept art, you didn't get any gameplay to see, uh, which normally you would, so when you are approached with writing music for a game, what are some of the things that you need to know right off the bat?
2: Well, when I start, I just ask as many questions as I can. Seeing concept art is really, really helpful, too. Uh, And knowing that it's always in a state of flux, and it's going to get better over time, just like everything in the game. But asking as many questions and leaving as little to the imagination on my part is the most important thing. If I'm working with a developer who has some musical background, I will ask them, you know, what kind of, like, do you want a major key or minor key? If they have no idea what I'm talking about, which is usually the case, I'll just, like... Kind of ask those, do you want it happy, do you want it sad, do you want it, um, what kind of instruments, do you like trumpets, do you like, Um, and then if I can, if they can answer those questions, I can get more of an idea of what they're looking for, Um, and then obviously present them with a multitude of options, and then they can use that to hone in on what they like about one and what they don't about another. Funny thing
3: is, is whenever I get asked to do a game, I always ask them some questions, and they end up only telling me, can you make this happy? Can you make this sad? can you make this joyful? Usually I'll ask, I'll ask for a track and I'll, I'll listen to it and I'll see what they're at, what they're going for and, and if I am having trouble, I'll ask them what about it is what you like and um, they'll, they'll usually say something like oh, I just like the feel of it, I like the I like the pace, I like so then I can take that and it's like, okay, well it's syncopated or, you know, it's like it's quick or it's slow it's, and then I can kind of play with it that way
0: Yeah, for me I think one of the most important things is finding out what the environment is because there are so many cliches sounds and it's even if you don't go the total cliche route it's kind of fun to start with like steel drums if it's an island track or like a Glockenspiel if it's a ice level Um, just because I don't know it instantly gets people into that mode especially if it's supposed to be like a nostalgic sort of game.
1: So, Charlie, you have a podcast where you've talked to many, many composers of all different walks of life. And as a composer yourself, what are some things that you have learned from other composers about the work that they do?
0: That's uh, tough. As you probably know, like everyone has 10 very interesting things during a, an interview. Um, and I think, like, the things that the the best things come back to me when I'm in the moment composing um, and I'll think of like um, I don't know, now that I'm on the spot on stage (laughs) uh, I think one of the biggest pieces of feedback was um, the idea that how you're hearing your music isn't going to be the same way that another person's hearing it because you've listened like what we've been doing up here We're listening to the music over and over, um, looping it over and over. So something that we might get sick of, uh, well, come to think of it, video gamers will probably get sick of too, because they're going to hear it a lot. So I don't know where I'm going with this idea.
2: (laughs) Yeah, on that topic of getting sick of things and looping, um, and Rob, you mentioned coming up with a good melody. I'm finding more and more that Blocks of sound work better for games than a really catchy melody with a really great bass It's these sort of repetitive and predictable, like bricks of music that you just layer next to one another. I don't know, these are like a lot of the composers that I meet that do games uh, have a more technical background. They do, um, they either come from game design or. From uh, movie scoring, and I went to school for classical composition. And so the form has to be this, like, it needs to speak for itself without anything else behind it no game, no movie. And so to break that and just have discrete sections of a feeling and a mood that don't need to have this really grand ebb and flow is something that I've really had to just change my approach on in the last couple of years as I started getting into game music.
3: Well, what I was saying about Mel... Well, okay, so it depends on the game, too. It's, like, for Joggernauts, first of all, like, that which is over in the corner over there. You should go play it. So for Joggernauts, I'm writing catchy music. I'm trying to write catchy music, so it's, like, it's fun to remember and play with your friends. But for something like Albert and Otto, when I wrote music for that game, that was ethereal. That was, like, in the background. That was not supposed to be, like, in your face. And it's, like, it's really about the game.
0: Uh, one last thought on that idea with the uh, when you are trying to write catchy melodies and melodies for those kind of games. Like, I wrote kind of catchy melody for Atmocopter, which is also over there. Shout out again. Um, but for that one, I I think the melody works and isn't too annoying because there's enough space in the middle. It's not constant melody the entire time, there's like some space to let you anticipate what's going to come next.
1: So since you're all composers and gamers as well, uh, what are some of your favorite video game soundtracks?
2: I remember the first game soundtrack I ever imported from Japan, back when you had to buy the CDs, uh, was Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Absolute favorite soundtrack. Yep. It just gives me the chills, and I still play it every Halloween. Um, I hate Halloween. It's just the weirdest... I don't know. Just adults dressing up in costumes just weirds me out. Um, that's not the question you ask. But I will sit at home, turn the lights off on the outside, and ignore all the trick-or-treaters and just play Castlevania every year. Um, that and Final Fantasy Tactics. That Those are my two favorites. So it's pretty cliche, but
3: my favorite soundtrack of all time is Final Fantasy VII. That got me into writing music in general. Like, I was so amazed by that soundtrack and how like it fit that world and I'm still like amazed by it so I think that's my favorite for sure Alright, I'm sure a
0: ton of people say this also but Zelda Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask we'll throw that one in there too uh, love both those games a lot I think it's just awesome that they also included the fact that you get to play the melodies on your Ocarina I don't know how many other games let you do that. so
1: That's fantastic. All right, so in just a minute, we'll take some questions, if any of you have any questions. But I do want to ask one more question of each of you, and that is, what is your personal philosophy on video game music? What do you think music should or could bring to a game?
0: Uh, well, it's interesting, I think, doing video game music as opposed to film score music, because I've been doing both lately. and uh, video game music, yeah, I really think you can get away with a, a lot more melodically interesting chord changes that people are just accustomed to hearing in these kind of games, and crazy rhythms, crazy sounds, so that 's kind of my philosophy at least for the uh, the not triple a like needs to sound like a film
2: score score yeah, I guess my philosophy on game music just comes down to service. The music needs to serve not only the game, but the developer and their vision for the game, and my own integrity as a composer and as a musician. Um, and then the audience. Like Some reviews for the music for my first game were usually like, oh, the music is good, but it gets really repetitive really fast. The scale of the game went a lot bigger than we anticipated, and so the small amount of music just kept playing over and over. and so. Looking back, we would have changed that to serve the the audience better and, to, and the game itself. Um, and so just keeping that that all of your clients in mind, not just the developer, but the people who are going to play it and the people who are going to buy the soundtrack, um, making it standalone, it's it's really challenging. And it's not just writing a good piece of music. It's writing a piece of music that, that fits and serves in so many different ways.
3: Yeah, I mean, besides both of those answers, I want the music to sound authentic to the game. Um, it 's challenging because I, I do want to have a sound, but I, I also want to have a sound for for that game you know i don 't want it to be okay, it sounds like some other game. I want it to feel and look or, you know I want the the, the visuals to look like uh, I want them to, to morph together uh, to, to, you don 't even notice the music anymore um, because it 's just like it 's so a part of what it is already so I think it's, I think it 's important to have authenticity, especially especially nowadays because, you know, we all have samples. We all have the same samples. And so it's like I really try hard to record my own music, like record bass, me playing bass or guitar or hiring, you know, real musicians to, like, fill out the, the orchestration. But, I, I mean, I use a lot of samples, too, uh, because a lot of time it's just based on the time frame of the project. We just don't have time to record a whole orchestra, and I have no money. So, because uh, I'm usually not getting paid very much or at all. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely try hard to get at least one real instrument in there just to have it sound a little different than everybody else's.
1: Any questions? Anybody have any questions? All right, here, come here.
2: So when you're uh, composing a track or anything like that, when
0: you're, uh, like when you have to loop it and listen to it so often, what do you do to keep ob- objective? Uh, when you're listening to the same thing over and over again, other than just like leaving and coming back to it the next day.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say is leave and come back the next day. Um, It's building in that time to come back to it. Um, It's really easy to get, not just sick of the music that you're writing, but the entire process. Being distracted by something else, oh, there's a tweet that I enjoy, or there's anything else that's at the moment somehow more fun, than getting paid to write music. But it's there's a, a percolation that happens when you're able to step away from it and allow those connections to subconsciously form. Um, listening to a piece of music and that chord progression being exactly what you need in the music that you're writing.
0: I guess my advice on if you're getting sick of the loop, find which instrument is making you sick of it, mute it, and maybe even delete it, and then uh, replace it with something else, and I feel like if you just keep cycling through the layers, eventually you'll get to the ones that are the best. So like earlier today I was practicing up, and I started with a drum loop, and then as I added more things, I felt like the track kind of outgrew that drum loop, because it was kind of dumb. So I just deleted it, added a new drum loop, and it felt like a totally different track, and it was way more fun, so...
3: Yeah, what I'll do is, um, well, first of all, go for a walk. Uh, you know, get outside. Just, I definitely think that, like the biggest thing is just stop and then try again. Or move on to a different project. You know, um, I do a lot of recording, engineering, and mixing for bands and whatnot. So I, I, I'll go to that instead, and I'll mix a track or whatever. I'll start mixing. One, and then I'll come back and go back to composition. And then another thing, like, yeah, like what they're saying, like, adding an element... To loop it differently, like adding a hi hat in there instead. Um just to like to break it up and make it make um I always have a hard time just like making tracks longer and um I've been finding that the best way to do that is taking the same thing, copying it, and then like transposing it and then adding a different, you know, like flute instead of a guitar or something and like it's playing that melody instead and then or like the flute's playing half of it and the guitar is playing half of it. or are just like, messing around with it um, and breaking up the loop.
1: Any other questions? Questions? Great. Thank you so much. Huge thank you also to our sound guy, Brian Schumann. Woo, Brian, yay! <laughs> yeah, I'm Emily Reese. You can find me on iTunes and stuff. Level with Emily Reese. And thank you. I hope you all have a wonderful GlitchCon. Yay!
0: There you have it. The first ever Game Music Melee event. Emily and I have been talking about trying to do this kind of speed composing event again in the future. And if you're a savvy listener, you might smell a composer quest quest coming up. Stay tuned. I want to plug my fellow composer panelists, too. Troy Strand, who helped organize the event. You can hear his music at yellowchordaudio.com, and that's chord with the ch. You can hear Robert Frost the Third's music at soundcloud.com dot slash Robert Frost III, and you can find me, of course, through composerquest.com, or on Facebook or Twitter. Now it's time for another. Charlie's music In this episode, we saw evidence that you can actually compose a decent video game track in just half an hour. But once you get the initial idea down, you may be left with something a little rough around the edges. That's what I want to talk about in this production lesson. Before we did our live composing event, I wanted to brush up on my production chops. So I tried some speed composing, trying to get an idea out quickly and with some simple game sounds. Here's where I started. For some reason, these arpeggios gave me the mental image of an 8-bit surfing game, with a nice sunset in the background. Maybe it's the type of chords, with an added 6th in them, or maybe the way the melody ends is some sort of surf music cliché. If someone can explain this association to me, I'd be happy to find out. But anyways, here's the bass part to go along with that melody. Since the bass starts on the 4th scale degree, then the 5th, then 1, it makes the beginning sound more like a pickup note. In the end, I actually decided to start the track a measure later, so it starts on the 1 in the bass. After I got this initial idea down, I decided a quick way to continue on would be to put the arpeggios in a different instrument and have the main line play a solo melody. Here's what the accompaniment sounded like. And here's the new melody, a call and response between two different synths. Finally, I added a simple drum part. Next, I quickly whipped up a B section using the same synths. Here's the start to it before it kind of fizzles out. I liked what was going on here, but take a listen to the transition point and see what you think. It doesn't really work that well, does it? I think it's the fact that there's a dramatic key change, and nothing in the melody or bass really carries over. The only really consistent thing is the drums, and they're kind of boring. So this is the puzzle I want to try and solve with this production lesson. How do you connect an A section and a B section that are really different? One of the classic examples of an A section and B section that are totally different is in the Beatles song, A Day in the Life. The A section, written and sung by John, is completely different than the B section, written and sung by Paul but it works in a weird way as an artistic statement. But in this quick video game track, I'm not really trying to make an artistic statement, just trying to make something that flows and is catchy. So now I'm gonna take this track into the music laboratory and see what I can come up with. Okay, here's my first experiment. I brought one of the B section lines up an octave to lighten the mood and I removed almost everything happening on beat 1 of the B section. I think that paring down beat 1 helps quite a bit, because it eases us into the key change rather than hitting it over our heads. It also makes the bass part a bit more interesting, since it now starts on the offbeat. But I'm not done yet, so back to work. I realized this tune has no real sustained pad sound. That might help bridge the gap. And it also seemed like maybe a pad could sound kind of surfy. So here's what I came up with. Keeping in mind I had to adjust a few notes at the end of the A section to match the new chords. Improvement? I kind of like it, but I'm not sure, so I'm going to keep playing with it. After listening back, I realized that the key change in the B section was just feeling awkward because it happens too soon. The remedy was to double the A section leading up to that. And instead of repeating the same melody, I decided to record a different melody for each repetition. After some extended tinkering, here's what I came up with. At the end of the B section, I had a happy accident. As I was recording, I realized my timing was half a beat off, but it actually turned into a really cool time signature shift. This technique is known as metric modulation. Sometimes you just have to screw up to have something fancy like this happen in your music. This new time signature shift was kind of pushing the track in the direction of prog rock, so I just kind of went with it. And here's what happened for the second half of the song. summary, I think it's a really good exercise to do some speed composing, but then actually follow through later to develop your ideas. I could spend even longer on this track, messing with the synth sounds and mixing it so it's not just mono. But on the other hand, sometimes if you just do a simple mono mix, you'll be able to test out your composition skills without being distracted by fancy effects. Back in the day, bands like the Beatles always mixed their albums in mono, and that forced them to be really good at arranging so there wouldn't be muddy, clashing frequencies. So with that, I'll sign off. Remember that you can find more of these production lessons at composerquest.com slash cmpl or search for Charlie's Music Production Lessons in your favorite podcast app. I'll leave you now with the full track, which I'm calling Surf's Up.